Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Go on a date with these two amazing books. And, and you will, you will discover that there is more than just the preponderance of people and vehicles. There is a story being told through the environment and a play in just looking and reading and understanding all of this busyness that is happening is an act of play. And if you can see that, and if you can, if you can start to figure out how to capture that, then you really have something that is, is harder to find in this space. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. 
Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Thank you for coming to the Draw Your Eyes podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as always, the show is never about me. It is about who I have brought to you today. And who I have brought to you today is actually, I consider I'm, I consider them celebrity. I, I'll say it. <laughs> oh, I think no. they're very cool. <laughs> um, the This is the voice and skill behind the Map Crow YouTube channel, is an excellent cartographer, has worked on projects like Flames of Freedom for the Zweihander RPG and some of their own personal projects, as well as supplementing Roll20 tools and assets for people to use freely and some paid. Please, please give a, a <laughs> round of applause to Kyle Latino. <sighs> Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. This is this is great. It's, it's great to see so many people in the studio audience today. <laughs> <laughs> Just waving around. Come sit on the couch, Kyle. Come over here. <laughs> Stop standing in the wings. Thank you for being on the show today, Kyle. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you for asking. So... As always on the top of the show, would you just give a brief introduction in case people don't know who you are as you present yourself to the internet, as well as any resources or links so people can get in touch with you, find your stuff, give you dollars? I'd love to put that up front. Yes. Yes. So my name is Kyle Latino. Latino is an Italian name. So if you if you look me up and you, you're you're surprised about what you see there, that's why. Because language is weird. Language is weird. But also, I am probably right now most well known for the uh, Macro RPG Art Show on YouTube. And that is a practice that kind of grew out of a studio diary that I was keeping for my Old Roads Kickstarter that I ran last February for Zine Quest 3. And then and then yeah, so so that grew into the the cartography career and I've just launched a Patreon at patreon.com or patreon.com/mapcrow and also before that I had a brief career in comic books. So yeah, it's 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 been wild. You know, we are many things all of us and and I am at least several. <laughs> uh, I didn't know the comic books part. That's awesome. I- have you is there like a name of a comic book that like you're really you're really proud that you did did pieces for yeah so probably the one i'm most proud of is the savage beard of she dwarf it's a creator-owned comic book that was published by oni press back in 2019 right when the pandemic hit which is mm-hmm. not a great time for your book to come out so <laughs> <laughs> So that it was really sort of like from the frustration of that launch period that I was like, I have to do art, but I don't want to do comics. That was it was a kind of a difficult mm. thing. But the game space has been absolutely lovely in in, a, in 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 some key ways that differentiated it from the comic space I was in. So so yeah, that's 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 my that's my Joker origin story, I guess. <laughs> 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 I love it. That's awesome. I'm going to definitely have to provide a link to that in the show notes for people to go and check out. Additionally, as the icebreaker for the show for the listener, would you just also be willing to give a sort of brief lineage of how you got involved in the tabletop role playing scene? Sort of like what caused you to have the spark to engage as a both a, a designer and as like a supporting member in terms of like the art side of supplying for RPGs and things like that. Yeah, I have been kind of like dipping my toe into indie RPGs for years. And then it turned into, so recently in, in actually in 2019, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati with an MFA in fine arts. And I, I used that to study lyric games and RPGs as a fine arts practice. So, and that's what kind of like kept me like, that's when the real deep dive kind of began for me. Although I'd been running games in 
and playing games and, you know, designing stuff for years, that's when I was just like, man, there's a lot going on in this scene right now. And there's some like really vital and interesting conversations happening here that aren't happening in other places. And, and so, yeah, like I, but probably what, what drove me into map making more than anything was probably listening to the Mike Shea, the, the lazy DM. Mm. And he was mentioning at some point that, that, you know, cause he's, he puts together like a book a year or something like that. And he says like, there are not that many map artists out there. So if, if you're an artist and you want to kind of like get into the industry, map art is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I kind of put that in, in my head and I thought like, yeah, there's, there's a lot about like, you basically are designing a miniature game if you're drawing a map that's any good. So it was just a very creatively interesting and satisfying and challenging thing to start doing. And then, and, and, but I, I realized that a lot of maps out there were just essentially and no, no shade intended, but the, the top down nature of a lot of virtual tabletops means mostly what you're looking at is the floor. And that is not as fun to draw as some of the things that like, you know, are along the walls or like standing up straight. You know, that verticality is really how we relate to the world, seeing things from side on. So isometric is kind of what I started uh, getting into just because I wanted to draw more things than, than, you know, floor tiles and, and just the tops of objects. I really wanted to start you know, describing like really compelling characterful environments. And I felt like I, I could not do that in the, in the way that I really wanted to with just the, the kind of traditional top-down maps. Yeah. I think I actually stumbled upon your YouTube channel simply because I was, I've been playing D and D five E since like 2017 and I don't really love the top-down like grid map Mm -hmm. i just don't think it's as evocative as when i stumbled across isometric maps and how i found your channel and you really turned me on to things like specifically like point crawl like the concept of doing a point crawl with sort of an isometric or even like landscape sort of style map that's awesome one of my i was trying to explain it to another set of friends this is like probably going to hurt somebody but (laughs) i got my big the art of magic book for zendikar if anyone knows that plane. And I opened it up to some random, like, double spread map image, like some landscape. Thing. I was, like, trying to explain to them what point crawl was. And I took a Sharpie and I started, like, drawing dots at different areas. Oh, and they almost, awesome. like, threw up on the table. Do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's You're like, what are, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, it's my book, dude. What are you talking Heck about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about destruction. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean that's another thing that I like about physical media at the table is just the ability to mark it up and get the Cheeto stains on it. You know, it becomes, <laughs> you know, you're writing on it in a lot more ways than just like with a marker. There's there's a there's interesting relationship that is that is formed. It's sorry, I'm I'm getting back into my MFA studies, but it just it's so cool to see people kind of add to and supplement and have this communication with the art, you know, through, through, yeah, marking it up and turning it into a game, even though that was supposed to be like this beautiful, rare art object. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And doubly so in that I also consider like an isometric map, even more so than top down. I think you could probably do this in top down. It's just very like diegetic of the game that you're sort of experiencing as well. Like mm. when, if you had sort of like an isometric point crawler or whatever have you, and you had specific tells, I think I can't remember which one it is, but in one of your episodes, there's like a cross by the door or something. You sort of like, you circle that and say like, this could be an interactable object. Yeah, I was like, well, if you had sort of like a Metrovania take on it of you had these specific key markers that said you have to use this skill at this specific point at the point crawl, that's just also like very diegetic of the game. Like I really love sim- symbology and iconography for systems or for mechanics that just say, ooh, I have to do that thing because the symbol is here. Like you get a whole shorthand of rules from a single symbol on a paper, which I find very like cognitive psychology fascinating yeah and well and and yeah this i mean 
this is this is what Anna Anthropy in her book a Game Design Vocabulary would call a verb. Mm-hmm. So we have verbs associated with certain kinds of things. So you know, for instance, if you draw, and this this comes across a lot better on an isometric map. If you draw a cliff, it looks a lot different and contains a lot different ways of interacting with it than if you draw a staircase. But from top mm-hmm. down, they're really it's not really apparent like how daunting the cliff is or how winding and rickety the staircase is. Like, you know, it's, it's yeah. it really gives you kind of more information at, at both as a GM. And then if you have, if you have the guts to show your players a beautiful map, instead of hiding it behind the DM screen, like a coward. <laughs> <laughs> All my rolls are in the open. I roll natural 20 on this chimera. chimera. You are bone, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I am th- not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is one of those things that with, with, you know, one of the common complaints is that because a lot of dungeon crawling is kind of designed around information scare- scarcity, you know, that if you show this big, beautiful map to people, they're going to, you know, solve everything out of order or use out of character knowledge. And basically it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's uh, hoarding all this beautiful art behind the DM screen and not trusting your players to, you know, use limited knowledge, which they already have to do to role play anyway. But I, I mean, I understand the tension, but it, I think it's more, more of a more of a problem of the play culture than it is the play itself Mm -hmm. it's actually i literally just thought this as i was falling asleep last night but the the way of gming the style of gming that you were just sort of explaining on or explaining to explaining prepositions (laughs) uh (laughs) but i was thinking about how have you ever played a game like uh one night werewolf or like a hidden role game or something like that oh yeah yeah Sure. There's a game called, well, I guess any of those games, but like, you know how there's a script, right? Like you can see, you know, all the possible roles that are in this. And part of the clue of the game is to figure out what roles are actually in play by players. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that like that GM style is very much playing like you are the werewolf or you are the mafia boss or whatever. It's the map it's the majority has scarce information yeah. and the minority has all the information i just there's something about that parallel that's like really resonating with me as of last night and i find that that style of gming in that game type is is that is fascinating kind of, yeah I, I never really thought about how much yeah the asymmetry between gm and player yeah shares so much in common with those social deduction games that's really interesting yeah. Yeah. But, and this will be my final dote of the day. I also got that design vocabulary book because of you. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, it's yeah. one of the best books you can buy. Oh, <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear that. I haven't given it a proper read through yet. It's in my, it's on my bucket list. It's going to come after I finish reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. But, uh, once I read that, that's my next book. Right on. Well, yeah, it's, just, it's a lot of it is about video games specifically, but there's so mm-hmm. much, especially when you're talking about art assets that uh, yeah. that really kind of there's there's a very strong relationship there. And, 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 and even even just the ability to have words to describe your video game experiences is 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 worth the price of admission alone, let alone if you're a tabletop game designer, then it's just, you know, all, all the better. That's that's amazing. I'm a big I'm, I'm fan so of shared language stuff. Huge oh, fan. yeah. Well, and that's yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of people, especially in the art space that are anti definition, you know, it's and the big one, mm-hmm. the big, big, the big bugbear uh, is you can't define art, which, of course, immediately defines it as something that you can't or shouldn't define. So that we're already we're already limiting it from the beginning. But 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 it's if you are viewing it as a contest that if I can define this thing, then I can win this argument and everyone else that doesn't agree with me can be wrong and lose the argument. Then, then defining art is a very violent and, 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 you know, worthless thing to do. But if this is just about creating a temporary definition for the sake of conversation, so you're not, you know, you're not, you know, using the same word, but not kind of, indexing the same definition, then you're, mm-hmm. you're never going to get anywhere. You can't actually converse until you develop the terms. And that's why I think, you know, the game design vocabulary uh, book by Anna Anthropy. And uh, there's, there's another co-author whose name escapes me right now, but, but that's, it's such a good book and it's, it's worth 
digging into, especially if you're a designer, especially if you're an artist, it's just developing what you're actually doing when you sit down to design a game or draw a drawing or paint a painting. It's just like, what, what's a painting? What's a drawing? What's art? And maybe that's just for you in that moment, but it will help you. It'll help you if you're interested in finding your voice, your, your voice is oftentimes going to be discovered by coming up with whatever definition is useful for you for at least one project. You can see why, why I brought Kyle on the show. So. <laughs> I don't need to explain anymore. That's the, there we are. So in, in sort of a small transition, one, I know that for Map Crow, uh, speaking about the, the YouTube channel and you talk a little bit about different dungeon design methods and and reimagining creatures. Your reimagined dragon is very cool. Love the emu body. And yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> of course. But you sort of also touch on like homebrew rules. So first of all, your what games have you been playing recently and what like designs or mechanics have you found really engaging or like something you always bring to your add to your tool gosh this this could be the rest of the show if we're not careful but i did write a list (laughs) i figured this because this would come up (laughs) so up until up until recently uh, i had been running an into and then i've been playing in uh, a beam saber game which is yeah it's a forged in the dark game by austin ramsay and i i'm actually a cast member on a podcast an actual play podcast called tales of mox fairy and that's for the geek Spective podcasting network and we and that is so wonderful to bring uh mechs into the kind of resolution system of of forged in the dark stuff so that's really good there's uh let's see i've, I've been playing a lot of like solo narrative war games like squad hammer rangers of shadow deep recently the, one of the one of the big games that i've been playing is more of this kind of like powered by the apocalypse space has been the playtest for Apocalypse Keys by Jamila Nedier, or sorry, Ned, Ned, Ned Jad, Ned Sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I'm not very good at reading, and I've never actually had to say the name out loud before. I do apologize for mangling that like a combine running over. Anyways, but uh, <laughs> I'm a Hoosier. It's combines are always in, in the metaphor space. But also, there's this <laughs> wonderful game called Wizard's Grimoire by Vincent Baker who designed uh, Apocalypse World to begin with. And now he's ba- he's basically taken that same kind of resolution mechanic, but he's flipped the role of player and MC. So basically only one person actually needs to know the rules, and that is the player character. And the player character then just like, you know, they have their own resolution mechanics that, that they have access to, and they just ask open-ended, like qualitative questions to everybody else playing and everybody else like cooperatively is the GM. It's, it's an amazing game that like every game designer should play in in the same way that like, you know, powered by the apocalypse is kind of like taking over the indie space. I really want to see wizards grimoire kind of like have the same impact because I think it's such a, an amazing way to play. And I think it lends itself to streaming really well too. Whoa. Many GMs, one player character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I mean, it's not quite. I mean, uh, Dream Askew uh, by Avery Alder is another amazing game that everyone everyone should play. Who's interested in seeing what the what the what the space is up to and what what the medium can do? But that is that is. I like the structure and the focus of of a single player character. But you still mm-hmm. get like this wide open space of just like anyone can throw the ingredients into the so- stone soup of the story. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> Wizards Grimoire by Vincent Baker has absolutely captured my attention right now. It makes me think a lot about video games that are specifically designed around Twitch interaction, mm. like having your audience do ish to you or, <laughs> or the 10,000 people control a single Pokemon. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, let's and- let's mess with these components. We have a more convo- conversant a culture of RPGs than we've ever had before. Like with the mm-hmm. preponderance of, you know, podcasts, actual plays and, and YouTube channels and all this. Like people know people who play RPGs know more about RPGs than ever before in human history, you know, in the short history of RPGs. Anyway, um, 
but so so like let's start yeah like questioning the the foundations of it and yeah let's do a twitch plays pokemon version of you know of 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 5e you know let's just let's do some weird amazing community stuff that kind of breaks down the tradition and and turns it into something you know uh uh, horrifying and beautiful that's what i think (laughs) i totally agree there as i've say a little bit often on the show every every episode, but I'm working on a game that is very much RPG skirmish in the field of like D&D 5e, D&D 4e, Pathfinder, all those sorts of like skirmish oh, cool. adventure games. And the one thing I want to modernize about it is I want to take concepts from MMORPGs like Final Fantasy and Guild Wars and stuff like that and like take those raid mechanics and how boss fights play out and how scripts work and put those in like time limits and put those into like actionable mechanics in the D&D space. There's a lot that we can, basically it's all to say that there's a lot that we can learn from the video game space that the video game space learned from RPGs. Like what is that game? Ultima? Yeah. Ultima. I, I mean, even, called. even going back to stuff like Colossal Cave Adventure, like text adventures, yeah. like Zork were definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it's like almost the very first video games they, there were, were immediately trying to figure out how to do Dungeons and Dragons when you can't schedule people. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's like, there's a, there's a strong relationship from the very beginning between the two spaces. Yeah. And I think if we now look at that tech and say, what paper technology can we use to emulate or build upon those things? You know, I'm trying to make a modern adventure skirmish game, like one that really like pushes away from like fixed turn order and stuff. Like how do we do real time mechanics and stuff on pen and paper spaces? So, like, wow. Yeah. I, I totally, I, totally agree with you. I really fell into like doing like the first two, whatever chapter modules of Final Fantasy 14 mm-hmm. last year. And yeah, the boss mechanics are amazing. Like putting down those big area effect templates to let I you know, it. hey, you have this long to get it. out of here before you get ready. Yeah. And like, you know, the DPS check is always really interesting to me. And I, it's such a, it's such a compelling design language. loop. Yeah, I, I, or, or game loop. And I, I feel like that stuff would lend itself better to, so like all of this is basically a, a solved problem already on like the foundry or something like that. Cause you can just drop down a bunch of like, you know, translucent templates really easily. And, and you can move, everybody can kind of move their things around in, in, you know, in, in real time as well. So, but it, yeah, in person, like those templates, especially if you have any scenery around, you know, that there's, there's definitely some design challenges to make that work at, at the table analog. But yeah, I, there's, I think there's a lot of people that are trying to, to, to figure that out right now. And the, yeah, the, the person who does it in the most compelling way is uh, really going to have a moment, I think. I agree. I think that I know there's like a lot of tactical or attempts at tactical RPGs, but it's, I feel like it's mostly in like the story game sort of space or OSR kind of like talk about it space. I'd really think there's a little bit of a hunger for like a new sort of like skirmish combat system that focuses on like the game being a game rather than like the game being like an expression of, of self. And I'm not like knocking any direction of that, but like, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse has playbooks that look at certain character or story archetypes for you to like embolden or be a part of, right? Also things like Forged in the Dark, which can be like a very tactical game just in like a conversation space. I think that there's really an upgrade and a hole in the indie scene that is for like a updated grid combat thing i yeah i think you're probably on to something because there has been you know warhammer 40k has really grown because i think as a direct result of the pandemic you know i think Mm -hmm. i think that has had like an enormous effect on you know virtual tabletops and and rpgs in general um and and but yeah there's there's a lot of like solo wargaming like independent skirmish wargaming stuff that has risen up you know the turn up 28 is a great example of this and and i, I think that's one of the most compelling 
you know, pieces of, of, of game work that has, that has really, it has absolutely captured my attention. And it's like, it's all I think about when it term, mm-hmm. comes to, to aesthetics. It's just like combining malign root vegetables with military, you know, Napoleonic military and uh, plate armor. It's just like, this is, this is great. Like nobody would have, would have ever put these ingredients together, but here they are. And it's like, that's where creativity is found. It's it's not by trying to have a brand new idea. It's by taking ideas that other people have had and recombining them in a compelling way that's that people haven't seen before. And that's you know that's that's what it's all about. So what you're talking about, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people that are very interested in that, but secretly hoping somebody does a better job first so they don't have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here we go. Hey. I'm coming for you, John Harper. No, <laughs> do don't it. come at me. I just, don't at me, dude. <laughs> blow it, blow uh, the spot, man. <laughs> yeah. Enough Enough about me. Re- restructuring it back towards Kyle. So I know that one of the topics you want to get into on the show, and as a boon as well, because I think you might be the – I think you're the second artist of – Every, of all my episodes that have come on here. And it's been like sort of an art focus in the RPG space and especially even more so a cartographer. And so could you, if, if there's someone out there who is like interested in wanting to be a cartographer as well, right? What are maybe some opener or beginning resources that people can tap into and maybe some skills that they should focus on developing more than maybe like anatomy if they're not doing character design or something sure like that. that's yeah. just me that's just me as a non-artist like saying words right now <laughs> well i mean that's one of the great things about uh about drawing maps is you don't have to draw people it's i think mm-hmm. that's why i found it so restful from after drawing a bunch of characters for a comic, it's just like, no, it's just an empty world without any of characters and their psychologies and their conflicts and just kind of imagining what people would be bouncing around in there. But yeah, I don't, as far as resources, like I, you know, uh, that is, that is a lot of what Map Crow, my YouTube channel is about, like kind of like collecting. But I would say, you know, I'll say this, and this is going to, this is going to sound like, like I'm trolling someone, but sure. I absolutely 100% believe this is if you want to learn how to draw uh, good men, get Richard Scarry's Busy Town and get yourself some Where's Waldo. And just like, you know, get a, a, gla- a glass of red wine and just like spend the evening, you know, turn on a prog rock album or some smooth jazz, just like really like go on a date with these two amazing books and and you will you will discover that there is more than just the preponderance of people and vehicles. There is a story being told through the environment and a play in just looking and reading and understanding all of this busyness that is happening is an act of play. And if you can see that, and if you can, if you can start to figure out how to capture that, then you really have something that I think, you know, I, I think is, is harder to find in the space because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who, when they want to draw RPG maps, they look at other RPG maps. But the truth is, if you're looking at someone else's RPG maps, like Dyson Logos is, is one of the guys that, you know, I really looked or one of the people in the space that I really looked at to try to get a handle on like, what is even happening here? creatively. And the truth is that they have, they have already taken up that spot for that style. Right. So, so if what you have is sort of like a bad impression of that, then you're not, you're not going to get that spot. Also like, you know, wizards, like I, I believe they license stuff, you know, from, from Dyson logos for cheaper than it would cost to, um, get a brand new map commissioned from, you know, even a starting artist. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that, that established presence in the space right now, if you, even if you're, and like I am, even if you're very inspired by Dyson's work, I, I think like putting all your eggs into, into copying that is, is perhaps, perhaps going to be a frustrating way to go because Dyson already exists and he has thousands of maps for free, you know? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Does that, does that make any sense? I feel, I feel like that answered your question, but I, you know, it's, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, it's something I also often tell personal friends of mine when I first started, like I want to be a really good, well, I think I am now, but I want to be a really good GM. And, you know, at the time I was being awakened to the RPG scene through D&D 5th edition that some friends were playing alongside Critical Role. And, you know, the whole, you know, Matt Mercer effect conversation of like, oh, mm. I want to be like Matt Mercer because Matt Mercer is a really great GM to, to some and to others probably not. And you can't be Matt Mercer. Matt Mercer is Matt Mercer. Yeah. Matt Mercer has been Matt Mercer for 40 years, 30 yeah. years, however, yeah. I don't know how old he is. And you'll never be able to gain the experience that allots you that position because that path has already been blazed. So like I have to be Jeremy Gage and find my own unique qualities that make me a great GM and or a great facilitator. And I think that's in tandem with what you're saying is like, it's, it's one thing to like copy and do case study maybe to learn from someone who you look up to. But at the end of the day, you can't replicate that and find, hmm, I don't want to necessarily say can't, but it'd be hard to find success being someone else. Yeah. I, I Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's absolutely true. And, and, uh, and copying is a great way to learn. It's a, if you're starting out from, you know, from not really drawing all that much at all, you know, copying and tracing and, you know, in, in the arts, we would call it like doing a master copy. And in the trades, they used to call it, that's your masterpiece. A masterpiece mm-hmm. used to be making a, a copy of what the finest piece of work the guild could put out was. And mm. if it was indistinguishable from the original, then you were good enough to start your, start your own practice and, and move up from journeyman to master. Uh, but now masterpiece means originality. It means that you're, you're, you're doing something that isn't something that everybody else has done. So it's an absolutely essential way of learning. But if you are trying, and it's, it's, it's even fine to like, you know, try to get into that space selling commissions or, you know, taking on contracts with that style. But like eventually as you do that, you need to listen to your process and you need to listen to the the wisdom of your own making and the things that you feel like you need to change, you must. And, and, Mm -hmm. but the, Mm -hmm. the, the things that remain uh, true and useful, like hold on to that, but you, you always need to, to kind of like doubt that you have arrived at the one answer. That's, that's, that's the thing is, is like once you, even once you make an indistinguishable copy of your favorite artist's work, like, you know, that's it's, then it's time, then it's time to add some new ingredients. It's time to take some risks. It's time to, to, it's time to surprise yourself again, I think. Aw. So we we go on an intimate date with these two pieces of learning, these two books. And, you know, we explore our own personal style for however long that takes the individual. Sort of the next thing that I'd like to ask your opinion or expertise on, especially because you have done projects for other publications, such as like even from comic books and from Daniel Fox's Wyhander for the Flames of Freedom project. What do you find is a good way or a good process of communicating with your client? Like what what kind of things do you ask for or look for in a brief? How often are you like communicating with said clients? Just sorts of those like basic things. And you can go into as much or as little detail as you want if there's any like sensitive information that you can or cannot share. No, um, like and Daniel Fox is a as a as a great uh, individual to work for if you're if you're lucky enough to to find yourself in that position and he he is he is very like the reason I've been able to make Mapcro videos about my work with Daniel. And uh, James Intercasso is is because mm-hmm. he's like explicitly. I do have an NDA signed, so I can't like send a bunch of stuff to people. But I, sure. I am allowed to kind of like talk about the work that I'm doing in in quite a bit more detail than than other projects that I've worked on with NDAs. But the 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 wonderful thing about that relationship is we would have through the course of um, 
not Flames of Freedom, but some other projects that are going to come out this year, we would have weekly art meetings between Daniel and sometimes James would be there. And then Deanne Mandick, who, who's the amazing pencil artist who does like all of the really like, you know, grim, dark illustrations mm-hmm. for the interiors of Flames of Freedom and Zweihander. Um, it's, and then, and then we would just show work and we would ask for art. Uh, we would ask for notes. It's like, does this hit the right mood? Is this extra detail that I added? Okay. And, and so that was just like something we had that dialogue open already. We had FaceTime with everybody and it was amazing because Deanne and I, like, you know, if I got to a scene with a map before he got to the spot illustration for it, he would riff off of details that I put in the map. And then if he got to a spot illustration before I had to do the map for it, I had a spot illustration to like, you know, really dig in there and go like, Oh, I need, I need to hang some skulls from this old willow tree. This is great. <laughs> you know, like that's, and that, and, and there was just like, it, it was, it was like, you know, when people kind of describe like a writer's room or something like that, it's like all of these great ideas were a product of the collaboration more so than they were of like any one auteur genius in the room. You know what I mean? So that's great. But I, I, you know, when you are handing over rough pencils to get like feedback, do that as early as you can. And if, and if it, if it's really unclear what, what your little like scribble drawing is like, you know, if you've, if you've drawn, I don't know, like a, like a tree, but it kind of looks like a person, um, and it's like unclear what, what that little, you know, quick sketch is in, in that corner of the map, just label it just, you know, and that mm-hmm. way it's just like, it's, because it's more about tidying up the spatial relationships sometimes because, you know, presumably you've been hired because they've seen what you're capable of doing with your finished work, but you need their help kind of like approving the plans and then they're going to trust you with that follow through. And then mm-hmm. if they're, if things need to be, you know, rearranged afterwards, try to do as much of that in Photoshop instead of actually like, you know, redrawing things. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. more you check in with a significant kind of like the more you check in with, you know, so once you get your pencils done, once you get your inks done. And then finally, you know, if you're doing color, you know, doing, you know, getting checking in with that color, like all of those, all of those steps you need to be checking in because you don't want to be surprised, you know, when you, when you turn in the final thing and it turns out, you know, there's another 10 hours of revisions because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot this thing. And that means that now you have a lot more work to do because you quoted a flat rate. Here's, Mm -hmm. here's, here's the business talk, right? So you've quoted a flat rate per piece. That's oftentimes how it works. You're not charging by the hour, like a, you know, a a web designer or a plumber might. You, you've charged a flat rate for that. So the, 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 the less amount of time that it takes you to do that, the more money you make per hour working Mm -hmm. on it. And if you're not careful, you are going to be working poverty wages because you weren't communicating well enough or you weren't in tune enough with how long it takes you to usually do these kinds of things. So that's something for, for every artist out there, especially, you know, for, 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 for those at the beginning of the journey is keep a detailed timesheet of how long it takes you to do each step of the process for the kind of stuff that you're doing. So, you know, at the end of six months, you'll really know how long it usually takes you to, you know, pencil out a rough sketch of a half page illustration. You'll know mm-hmm. you, you'll, you'll, you can just put it into Google sheets and run the numbers. And then, and then you, you, once you have a good understanding of how long it takes you, then you can actually look at the quoted rate and see if you need to ask for more because, you know, it actually takes you forever to color something like it takes me, <laughs> you know? So that's, that, that's, I think, uh, a little peek behind the curtain in, in the art team for some of the Vihander stuff, but also just like gen- some pretty good general advice for uh, how to kind of start that conversation with any client and how to know your own work. And that's going to give you a good place to start for that conversation with the client. Yeah, I totally agree. I've mentioned on on this podcast a couple of times about really looking at project price rather than an hourly price. You should potentially have your hourly figured out just in case there is overage and that comes from like the client's end of things. Yeah. Like you've gotten to a, a a point where you as the creator are like, no, this feels pretty, pretty done. And this was like our, our agreed like time scope. And they ask you for like, Oh, well, could we have two more pieces? Sure. Here's the additional for that stuff. Right. Like it's not going to yeah. come out of the blue for them, but yeah. it's totally, it's totally with what Kyle's saying is like, 
if you have a project-based value and you go, I'm just throwing out big, huge numbers here, but if you charge $10,000 for a project and you get that done in a month, you made $10,000 in a month, right? But if it takes you six months, you made $10,000 in six months. Like you can see how that sort of like the elastic on that kind of rubber bands all over the place. And I think that when you do hourly, it's hard to set expectations for how long or how short something is going to take, especially when it's between you and the client's conversation in that, you know, if you do something real fast and you charge by the hour, you may not make a that much money, but also b your clients might go, Oh, that was much faster than I thought it was going to be. You know, why did it cost this much money or whatever? And then the other version is like, if you take too long and you're trying to like, then they're like, are you milking hourly from me? So it just creates this sort of uneasy relationship between you and you and the client, at least in, in my experience. And as I like have engaged in entrepreneur YouTube channels and that makes the most sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't, I, I have not really worked hourly as, as like an illustrator ever before, but even so like there, yes, there's, a, there's always an uneven relationship because one person's signing the checks. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. you, you need to, you know, this is why you need to ask questions and kind of know your process really well. And then if, yeah. if, 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 it, if, if there's scope creep or things change or you just, they just keep, you know, jerking you around with revisions. You just need to be willing to leave. Mm-hmm. Also, like if it's a bad situation, it might not be anyone's fault. It might come from the best place in the world of everybody trying to do the, the best job and turn out, you know, the best project ever. But also that, that, that can run you into the red real quick, that kind of, that kind mm-hmm. of passion. So you always want to understand how long things are taking you and, and also just having the ability to, turn in work that is like, okay, all right, this, I normally I would put in another, you know, three hours to really polish this piece up, but I'm not getting paid to. And I, so I have to turn in, I'm turning in something that is still good, (laughs) but is, Mm -hmm. is, it it is acceptable, but this does not have the, the same kind of, you know, flashiness that I would normally like to put on it, but also, you know, the price is wrong for that. So that's what they get. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, we, we get, we get with the client, we get with, we're doing the scope, we're doing the, the dang thing. Have you, I guess the last thing I guess I would sort of ask you is, and maybe this is going to be really personal and potentially a, a, an unfair question. So if I'm, if I'm stepping, oh, those are my favorites. No, go me. ahead. But like, as far as who owns the art, right? Oh, like yeah. when it comes down to like, when you create for something, do you often sign over your properties to the client and they sort of like get to remix that as that please? Is there sort of like a licensing term period? What is sort of like, how does that work for you? So almost all the time, if you're going to be working in comics or, or RPG illustration, you are almost always working under. And basically that means that they have the copyright. That is one of the things you are getting paid for is not just the image, but the copyright to that image. So, but oftentimes that copyright, unless you're, unless you're working for Disney in which they own it lock, stock and barrel, oftentimes with that copyright, it is limited to that project or promotion for that project. But if they wanted to, you know, take all of my maps that I've done at, you know, for Zweihander and publish just a big map folio, that's a completely new product, but it's repurposing that art because of the details of those contracts, they would have to pay to license, to relicense art for a different use for that. Not all mm. contracts are going to say that. And if, and, and you need to ask about these kinds of things. And if you're unfamiliar with contracts, you know, just, just ask, ask, see if you can find someone to take a look over things, you know, at the bottom line, you know, the work for hire exists to, to privilege the person who is paying. And that's, that's kind of what that inequality, but that doesn't mean that you can't come to a mutual understanding. Of, of where this is. The big problem is when you're not aware of, of what all is entailed here. So, for, you know, for instance, the, with the graphic novel that I did, the uh, Savage Beard of She-Dwarf, mm-hmm. specifically all Oni Press has from me is uh, the English translation rights. So they can only mm-hmm. print that book in English 
and that's all they so but they so they cannot they can't they can't turn around to do a french translation or a spanish translation and they also can't do a a video game tie-in or a cell phone game or an ar or anything without <laughs> without us signing more papers so it's not that you know so that the, those are those kinds of things are very common to have and then nowadays you, you really want to double check to make sure that there is a, like a no nfts clause uh, in there you know it's mm-hmm. like because pe- people be greedy and if that <laughs> if that does not fit your if that does not fit your uh vision for what you want your art to to be operating in it's you, you need to be explicit about these things so that is that is something that moving forward every time i sign paper on a, on a new project that is going going in there <laughs> yeah yeah jesus h mm. creased so that's amazing. We've gotten sort of like the the opener portion of the journey. We've gotten sort of the connect, like getting scope work done, kind of like working the conversation with the client and doing the project. I guess sort of the, and we also talked a little bit about the finish line stuff, at least in, in your personal experiences. And I guess as far as, non-business stuff is concerned what what's like coming down the pipeline for kyle like you're you have you're working on other people's projects but you have some personal projects that you're looking to do yeah gosh oh so many so first of all the the patreon that i have at patreon.com slash mapcrow i just launched (laughs) it this month and so every month i am putting out digital scatter terrain and digital miniatures to kind of use on a virtual tabletop because a i i really did not like mailing fulfillment for my for my i actually really was very disorganized with that and international shipping is no joke i didn't i didn't lose Mm -hmm money on it but i i international shipping took a big bite out of what what looked like a, a, the biggest number i'd ever made in art on a single project before mm-hmm. so that was that was fun so digital is is nice because it anyways i'm still in business yeah. mode but no um, you're good so one of the things that I love about, you know, old roads and, and, you know, all the, all the kind of bespoke work that I've done, you know, to the art briefs of, of the adventures I've worked on in, in Zweihander and other places is if you're not using that specific situation, that's the thing about drawing really detailed maps is it, you have so much specificity there that if one detail is wrong, that goes against kind of, you know, what the GM's vision is then they won't use the map or they won't show the map to their players mm-hmm. uh, because it's like, I love the ideas on this. I'm very inspired by this, but you know, like you have a crash spaceship on this mountain and I like everything except for the crash spaceship, you know? And, but it's like, that's, that's part of the art, you know? So mm-hmm. something I am doing with this Patreon is it's all modular terrain. So, you know, after a couple of months, you know, you can subscribe to the Patreon. There'll be like a couple of different map packs and you can you can put together your own map with all of these beautiful assets that that are in, you know, in full color, vibrant color and and use them and put and and be creative and, 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 and recombine all these different sets to kind of yeah turn it into this game of, you know, isometric D&D Legos and just have mm-hmm. fun with it in that way and, and, and let your own voice be heard. You know, you could even take, you know, isometric maps from, you know, other folks like uh, Epic Isometric. And, and and use their D and D monsters on top of you know my kind of like ruined swamp village map and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with modular. That as much as I love the 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 composition challenge of coming up with a really beautiful map, it is somewhat less useful for for your average DM. And that's something that you know after a year of working on stuff like this i was just like there's a design challenge here that i'm not responding to so that's that's one of the things that's informed the patreon and then another thing that i'm working on with my friend and colleague evan torner is a a, a danish larp that we are submitting to this the larp festival called festival and it's we're we're doing basically it's like a, a he-man relationship LARP. So it's kind of set in this kind of like, you know, fantasy sci-fi action figure from the 80s kind of space. 
And, mm-hmm. and there's all these complicated, you know, free form interrelationships that, that the players will navigate. So there's 20 different characters that I'm designing that are all kind of like original action figure designs that are kind of playing in that old space. And then we're also wow. doing like this giant map of, of sort of, you know, our equivalent of Eternia that is just like scattered with all these, you know, crazy places to go and explore and, 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 you know, you know, talk through your, your, your deep psychological trauma from the war with Skeletor and stuff like that. So that's called Whoa. Diamond 20. And after that is that we get some feedback from Fostival on that. We're going to polish that up and then release that on, you know, for the public. So I'm looking forward to that later this year as well. Amazing. I just watched, just watched the new, I've never watched the original He-Man, but I saw the new Masters of the Universe remake. Uh, I was surprised was- at how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I thought, you know, it's a popcorn fun eating action time, (laughs) but also had some like really interesting like examinations of the themes of, and sort of subverting some of the themes of, of He-Man. So that was really cool. Yeah. It it was actually far more like emotionally mature than I, I generally give Kevin Smith credit for, but you know, and there was also a lot of Kevin Smithisms in there that I, I I wasn't so keen on, but you know, there's, there's like, I, I have to say it, did, it did complicate my view of that particular creative individual. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> oh, that's the worst thing is when somebody you've already made up your mind about said, like does something that you're like, this is kind of good though. <laughs> <laughs> Pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally get it. Uh, well, Kyle, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the show here. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. It was an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you in person and connect with you. And would you just give a brief outro once again of who you are, how you present yourself, all the links and things, all the stuff that Kyle's about to talk about will be down in the show notes for your access listeners. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll totally do that. There's one more piece of parting advice I have for emerging artists. Yeah. If you're at the beginning of the journey is 100% of the time, when I get a job, it's because I'm I'm on social media, I'm on YouTube, and I'm talking about personal work that I own that I'm excited about. Because if I own it and I'm excited about it, I can put more creativity into it than you know, any of the licensed work that I'm doing, because that licensed work is fitting a specific kind of model that is looking for a specific kind of audience. And it's not going to go as buck wild as I like to go. So the really eye catching stuff that you're I just like cannot wait to share people is always going to turn the heads of other individuals in the space that are looking to hire more than the work that they're actually going to hire you. So it's like, it's very important to have a personal practice alongside of your commercial practice. Like you cannot, mm. you cannot, you have to fight for time. You have to take time away from the commercial practice sometimes to make sure that you're doing like creatively satisfying work that you can enjoy and profit from without sharing it with, with anybody else. If, oh. if you, if, if you think about this in terms of like corporate, corporate legitimacy, that the whole point of this is to break in and work for Witches of the Coast for the rest of your life. This is, you know, this is this is not going to work out that way for you and also like all of your work will look like you work for wizards of the coast you will you will your your voice will be subsumed and co-opted with the brand like you know other than dyson who's your favorite map maker that that has that has books um or that's that's in that's in big books right oftentimes you know the, it's not that they're uncredited it's just you see that on the page and if the name isn't next to that map you're you're probably not going to flip back to the beginning to look at it versus you know my name is all over the stuff that I do that I own and that is why I get work from that work and not necessarily you know that people you know people who are looking to hire are more comfortable hiring s- someone who has had published work with somebody else. Cause it kind of shows that you know how to play ball. You can turn in things on time and all that stuff. Like all of that's really important, but the work they're going to look at and go like, I got to hire that artist. That is your personal work. And that's that you cannot get rid of that part of your practice as an artist. Sorry. That was, that was, <laughs> I, no, I slipped no, it no, in sorry, at, at the very end there, but I wanted to make sure I said it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for doing that. 
Yeah. But you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Latino, all one word, or on my YouTube channel, uh, MapCrow, or at my Patreon, patreon.com slash MapCrow. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for hanging out with us. It has been an absolute joy. I've learned a lot from Kyle, and I hope you have too. And we'll catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Kyle. Bye to the people, Kyle. (laughs) Bye. Hey there, listeners. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Kyle and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes for getting in touch with Kyle and other content with similar topics. Support Jeremy and the DYD podcast by reviewing the show or joining the community Discord server. Additionally, you can get ad-free early releases of episodes by donating to the DYD Patreon at patreon.com slash dydpodcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember that design is a marathon. So enjoy the journey and have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.